Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. All right, what's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com, and I'm back on for a second time tonight because I'm leaving town tomorrow. So, you know, I figured we would knock these two birds out with one stone, you know, so that way, um, you know, we could just get this stuff out because, you know, we've got piles of teachings and things that are coming up that, we want to be able to present because we don't know what YouTube is going to try and do next. But tonight's teaching is going to be called the Mandela effect, the Mandela effect. Now I know that some people, Hey brother, Sal, I know that some people have probably heard of it and others have not, but we're going to go over that tonight. And we're also going to talk about, Hey sister Naima, we're also going to talk about what is really going on what's truly happening behind the scenes concerning this Mandela effect. Because one thing I know about Jesus, his sister Latoya and sister Teresa, one thing I know about Jesus is when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me, there is nobody that believes that more than the devil. And I'm telling you, when he said that he is the truth, hey, Coach P, but one thing we've got to understand concerning this is that the devil doesn't do anything in the physical that he does not intend to use in the spiritual. All lies and propaganda, all mind control, all false doctrine, all things that you can think of as in news headlines, movies, entertainment, you name it, doesn't even matter what it is. All roads lead to either Jesus or the devil. And if the devil shows you and I something in entertainment or he does something that, you know, will look like it's, you know, has nothing to do with what's going on on the religious or spiritual side of things, don't believe it. All roads point back to either people keeping their faith or losing their faith. Hey, Sister Joni, hope all is well. But you see, that's what this whole thing is about. So what we're going to talk about tonight is what is the Mandela effect? We're even going to look at a few clips of examples of what it is. And then we're going to talk about what I believe that the Lord is showing me that the devil is doing concerning this. So let, I'm going to read an article to you guys real quick. And then I'm going to um, turn out the lights. Sister Sarah is actually helping me tonight again with the technical stuff. So, um, yeah, she'll be dealing with the lights and dealing with all that stuff. And um, I'm just gonna read this to you, and then we're gonna get a few examples. Then we're gonna talk about what the devil is really doing, what's really going on behind the scenes, what's truly happening concerning the body of Christ and the snares of the devil. So the question is, what is the Mandela effect? The answer, the Mandela effect is the phenomenon of people's collective misremembering of specific facts or events. It is what happens when someone has a clear memory of something that never actually happened. The Mandela effect is often linked to bizarre, con to bizarre conspiracy theories involving parallel universes, colliding alternative realities, 
and time travel. One tenet of these theories is that history is actually being changed, which, uh, which explains why we remember something, but history doesn't record it. Others go so far as to say changes are being made in the Holy Scriptures too. Now, what I also wanna focus on today and, and to make clear is, I have had examples of this myself. I know some of you guys may actually think I'm crazy, but there was a brother and I that I work with that he mentioned something about, you know, the magnetic bulls. I don't know if you guys ever heard about him in the NBA, the magnetic bulls that they claim that NBA players play with. Now, no doubt, these guys are the greatest athletes in the world concerning basketball, and they can do some amazing things. And you and I have been on the court. We've played the game and we've seen things happen that wouldn't usually happen. We know that that, that can happen. But one thing I was learning about the magnetic balls is that they are able to make the ball bounce in certain ways that can look like the ball's going to miss the shot, but it still carries on. Now, I'm not talking about good rotation, okay? For all those who play basketball know what I'm talking about. I'm not speaking about good rotation. I'm talking about an unnatural bounce that takes place for the ball to go in. Now, for those who remember the NBA, uh, I believe it was finals or conference finals, that there was a Ka Kawhi Leonard, hey, brother Randy, that, that scored a last game-winning shot, and the ball had a weird bounce. It went from bouncing like several feet off the rim to just dying on the rim and falling in. All right? Now, I'm not here to talk about sports, but I could have sworn there were many times that I've watched a sporting event on a last shot. And it looks like the shot rebel, you know, uh, went around the rim or hit the rim. Like when Damian Lillard hit his shot, I think it was to get out of the first or second round, but he hit a shot and it looked like the ball went around the rim and then went in. But then when I watched it later on, on the news, it was like, man, the ball looked more like a swish. Now, was it my memory or was I really seeing, I, I was seeing something wrong. You know, so I do believe in that camera can be altered and everything like that. I'm not going to go into a lot of conspiracy, but I have had examples in my life that I remember certain things a certain way. And without a doubt, I was sure of them. But after reviewing the tape or looking at something later, you find out that they'll say it's not that way at all. And I just think it's kind of weird and interesting. But notice at the end of the um paragraph that I read, it mentioned about the Holy Scriptures themselves being changed. So it says the term Mandela effect was coined by uh, Fiona Broom, a writer and paranormal consultant in 2010. Ms. Broom explains the Mandela effect on her website. Many of us, mostly total strangers, remember the exact same events uh, with the exact same details. However, our memories are different from what's in the history books, newspaper archives, and so on. The term is a reference to South African leader, Nelson Mandela. It seems that a group of people had a false memory of Nelson Mandela dying in prison in the 80s. He actually died in December of 2013. Conspiracy theorists um, hypo hypothesize that whenever uh, a significant number of people share a similar false memory, 
then the event is related to alternate history or parallel realities. In the case of Mandela, the theorist would say he did die in the 80s in one, in one universe, and he did die in 2013 in another universe. People have memories of both because they've been uh, sliding back and forth between two realities uh, without knowing it. As ridiculous as these theories may sound, Ms. Broom uh, has gained a solid following online, writing articles, books, and giving speeches on related subjects. Now I can tell you firsthand, guys, that when I was in school, this was 1989, we heard about the leader, Nelson Mandela, and we heard about the fact that Nelson Mandela himself was in prison for 27 years. And we heard that he would be getting out in 1991. So I never heard the conspiracy or whatever that he was going to, that he died in the 80s. Now, and that's not to disregard what people may have heard, because, you know, I do think that there could be an altering of history. I don't believe in the parallel universe. I don't believe in a lot of these other things. I believe that there are people that may be switching things okay, to alter your memory. And I think the overall goal is so that you won't remember the Bible. I think it all goes back to Jesus. I think even with people selling you on the doctrine that Jesus Christ had already came back, I think that doctrine came from hell. I think whoever supports it and some of these people are actually being paid to make people believe a lot of this stuff. And I also believe that, you know, the devil's hand is at work. I think it's all about distorting memory to make people not remember a lot of things. I'm not saying in every case, but I think that whenever you have something like this pop up, it's always relating to the scriptures. That is the next move of the devil without a doubt. Hey, brother Timotheus. All right, so we're gonna um, look at some examples real quick before we go into prayer. For those who are not familiar with the uh, Mandela effect and what it's about, and I think from there, we will go into prayer and get right into this lesson and we'll go back into this article, but I want to make the point that we understand what the Mandela effect is, okay? Because we're gonna run across it quite a bit in the near future. I am 100% certain of this. If the devil can't knock you away from the truth, he's going to distort that which you believe and remember so that you will have no faith in anything, okay? So let's get started. I'm going to show you guys an article of what this thing is like. I will be speaking to you during this because, you know, for those who don't remember or have never seen this, I can't assume that people have. Okay, so this is called 40 uh, Mandela Effect Examples That Will Blow Your Mind. So let's take a look at these guys and I'll get out the way. All right, let me peel this back a little bit. Let me know if you guys can actually see it because sometimes it'll be hard to view. Okay, now right now you've got two pictures of Curious George, okay? It says the Mandela effect is a phenomenon that makes us question even the most mundane memories from the past. In June, 2019, a famed New York Times crossword puzzle made it a theme to define it as a recent refinement of false memory that typically refers to pop culture or current event uh, references. 
named by paranormal teacher Fiona Broome. Now we learned about her, but they tried to bring a lot of things in our lives like this Curious George thing. Some people may remember Curious George with a tail. Some people may remember him without a tail. But let's scroll down and let's get to some more. Now this is Jiffy. For those who believe that Jiffy is the circle, you know, um, that it was actually uh, that way. Or if you look at the word Jiff on the other end, you have to ask people, which one is it? Because if I had to choose, I would remember the one on the, uh, that's in the uh, peanut bottle. But let's check it out. It says, people swear there is a Jiffy peanut butter back, uh, back in the day. But we speculative, we speculate, we speculate, sorry, uh, they've combined Jif with its competitor, Skippy. So there was no Jiffy. They're saying peanut butter, that it was only Jif. Okay, so I kind of remember that. But I do kind of remember a Jiffy, but they're saying that its rival was Skippy. Everybody see that? All right, so I'm going to go down to the next one. You can see here. Looney Tunes. Okay, so was it spelled Looney Tunes with T-O-O-N-S or Looney Tunes, T-U-N-E-S? Now, see, for me, as a kid, I remember Looney Tunes being like cartoons Looney Tunes, but it says that it's actually spelled the other way, which is Looney Tunes, like as in music. So hopefully you guys can see that because I know I don't have the best right now. I can't turn it sideways because it's making clear. I mean, it's going to cut off of me. So let's look at the next example. There was a cartoon in the 80s, I remember, or maybe early 90s called the Berenstain Bears. So the first spelling of Berenstain was B-E-R-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. Or was it spelled B-E-R-E-N-S-T-A-I-N, as in stain? Now, I remember the word stain at the end of it, but it's making clear here that the lovable cartoon bear or lovable cartoon bear uh, family actually spelled their last name with an A of the Baron Stain. Okay, so I was right about that. Then there is Curious George. I don't expect a lot of young people to remember this character, but we used to uh, read books on Curious George. Did Curious George have a tail or did he not? They said the tail never was there. Are you freaking out? It says, okay, moving on. All right, so you guys look at the next example. And I'm not gonna do a whole lot of these. I just wanna make a point. We can cross out Sex in the City because that wasn't my show. All right, but if you look at this, guys, Febreze, was it spelled with one E in the middle or was it spelled with two? Okay, it says, you might use the stuff every day, but be honest, you thought it was Febreze as in two E's, didn't you? So they're saying that it's actually with one. Now, I do remember two E's, but could that be my false memory or my misunderstanding? It's possible. Now, look at this, guys. Oscar Mayer. Okay, now um, we have to ask ourselves, was it spelled with, you know, the E-Y-E-R or M-A-Y-E-R? I, for some reason, remember the M-E-Y-E-R. 
but they're saying it's actually Oscar Mayer as in Meyer. So maybe some of you would remember that, maybe not. And a person would ask, why are you going through all this? Because, you know, there may be some people that remember it the way that I do, okay? So hopefully you guys can see this. So there is Skechers, there's the Skechers symbol there. Now, you know, you guys can look at that. Some people remember a T in, in Skechers and some people remember it without a T in the middle. It says, Skechers less sketchy than most. People have been befuddled to see that there was no T in Skechers. Is that true? I don't know. <laughs> this is Fruit Loops. Now, do we remember that, was it spelled uh, F-R-U-I-T uh, as in fruit? Or was it like fruit as in F-R-O-O-T? What do you guys think? It was always spelled Fruit Loops with uh, two O's instead of the actual word fruit. That I do remember. Okay, so let's skip down. Uh, Want to find some other things here. Remember the Monopoly guy, the little greedy banker that plays every character in the Monopoly game. Do you guys remember him with a glass eye or do you remember him without it? Now, this was really confusing for me when I first saw it, but it says that the, the Monopoly man did not have a monocle at all. It says that he just, um, he had a plain face. He did not have that lens over his eye. Now, I do remember that they did commercials maybe, but I do remember this guy having a glass or something over his eye. So that's just really interesting to look at. And this one really blew me away. This is Pikachu from Pokemon. I don't know why I remember when it first came out that Pikachu himself had a little black spot on the end of his tail. But they're saying that it was never there, that it always looked like the one on the right. You guys see that? That's crazy. All right, I'm going to give a, a couple more examples. All right, now Kit Kat. Do you remember Kit Kat with a hyphen in the middle? Or do you remember it without it? It's saying here, if you've, if you've just had an, exist, an existential uh, crisis about the fact that there is no hyphen in between Kit and Cat, know that you're not alone. Because I do remember seeing one, that there was a hyphen in the middle of Kit Kat. But they're saying here that it's not so. So that's pretty crazy. All right, and Fruit of the Loom. Now, this is my time, guys, and maybe before me. And I personally remember that that little, the one on the left was the actual picture. I'm sure if I could go back home and probably find some really beat up, dirty underwear, I'm pretty much, I, I believe that it truly would look like the one on the left. But they're saying that it was the one on the right. As a kid, I remember that little horn being there. And I remember it sticking out. That that I forgot what they call that thing, the horn. But I know for a fact, guys, that it was the one on the left. But they're saying today that it was always the one on the right. That's crazy. So I'm going to do one more. 
And I think from there, we're going to get into the lesson, but this all has to do with the Mandela effect. Now, this is cheeses. Okay, they're saying that, is it spelled the one on the right or the one on the left? Now, I had chosen the one on the right because I feel like, you know, that's the way it would be spelled. And they're saying, uh, we swear uh, there used to be an extra Z. And, you know, it could have been at the end. They said, what's happening? Now, this one, I remember I was doing at work. And a lot of people couldn't figure out, was it double stuff, you know, or double stuff with one F or two? You know, the only reason I got the answer to this is because I know that the one on the right is actually the way that uh, an Oreo package looks like. It's not tall and wide like that. So the reason why I guessed which one it was, that it was the one on the right, is because I looked at the shape of the package not because I looked at anything else. So that's just a few examples, guys. I'll leave this in the description box. I do believe some of the things that they said here were absolutely true, but I also think that a lot of it really is mind control. A lot of these things are taken away and we're being tested to see exactly what it is or how much we can remember because the next thing they are going to attempt to alter and they already have with different versions of the Bible, will be, you know, the scriptures themselves. Okay, so from here, let's uh, let's go right into this uh, lesson. I'm going to pray. We can turn the lights back on, but that's just an example. I'll go through some more if we have time to go in through them, but people are playing with people's minds because there are some things I remember outright without a doubt. But they're saying, no, that couldn't be the case. You know, you just have a false memory. And I'm sure that's something that the devil would love to give you is a false memory. So let's pray. And I've got some articles, like I said, to read and other things. And if we got time, we'll go back and look at some more examples. All right. This is always about Jesus. But I'm just making the point that a lot of people are deceived. OK, because. If you've got the people that are in this world giving you propaganda and news and everything else, they can change it whenever they want. And, you know, it doesn't matter a whole lot of this, how much we remember. What we need to focus on and pay attention to are the scriptures themselves, because the last thing that we need is to not know what something said, which is why a lot of people in the end will be deceived and are being deceived right now. So let's pray, guys. We'll get right into this lesson as we talk about the Mandela effect. Heavenly Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for another day, for another day not promised to us. And we just ask, Lord, that you give us, that you fill us, Lord, with yourself, that you forgive us of our iniquities and our sins and our shortcomings and transgressions. And those things are placed available between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me with my brothers and sisters, that we have yet another day to be partakers in your word, to be edified by your spirit, that we may choose life and not death, Lord. And we just pray tonight that no man's heart be heard in his teaching, that no flesh be glorified, but only at the end of it all, Lord, that people may receive you, Lord Jesus, and take their walk with you that much more serious. 
So we just pray tonight, Lord God, that you speak. And we pray, Lord, that you show us every nook and cranny, every plot, plan, and, and scheme that the devil is attempting to do, that your people may wear their armor, Lord, and put that helmet upon their heads, that we may have the mind of Christ and not fall into a delusion. So we just pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief. We pray, Lord, and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so let's get right into this lesson. I also wanna run a quote by you guys, you know, that you guys might actually uh, find interesting too. Adolf Hitler said something very, very interesting during his time while he was chancellor and eventually became a dictator, okay? I'm gonna uh, find that right now, but he said something that a lot of uh, people in the world live by today and people will believe, you know, and, and it's just something that's really sad because you've got to get to the place of thinking for yourself and not caught up with the cares of what the devil wants to try and tell you. But Adolf Hitler said this, he says, if you tell a lie um, big enough, or if you tell a big enough lie and tell it frequently enough, it will be believed. So if you tell a lie long enough and frequent enough that people will believe it. This is what you're finding out today when people don't believe that the Bible is true. People will usually repeat stuff that they've heard other people say, never research it themselves, and they will carry it out as if it is pure gospel. Now you see, when you get into places like that, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble because everyone loves to quote, they say, they say, they say, but do you know that for a fact? Have you tested it yourself? Those are the things that we need to pay attention to because a lot of people will be snared and, and all this other stuff of repeating what they have heard other people say. Now, there's another uh, thing I wanna go to real quick, but this is called seven sayings people mistake for scripture. You know that there are things that people think are in the Bible and they're not, you know, but this is, this is how we can get caught up in this Mandela effect, thinking that we know something because we've heard people say it and it's got nothing to do with it. The first one is money is the root of all evil. The Bible once never says that, but people will say, oh, money is evil. Money is the root of all evil. When really the verse that is quoted is, the love of money is the root of all evil. And here's another one. It says, God will never give you more than you can handle. Generally, this is supposed to be a comforting statement to a person struggling in difficult situations. A quick survey of a few friends showed that almost no one finds this phrase remotely helpful, even if the person saying it has good intentions. And it's not scriptural. Many cite 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 13 as a basis for this sentiment. However, Paul is addressing the issue of temptation for Christians and that God always offers us a way of escape or to escape them. Instead, many of the gospel writers even Jesus himself tell disciples 
to go to the Lord with cares, worries, difficulties, and heavy burdens. Here's the third one, blessed and highly favored. Okay, it says the phrase is very popular amongst various movements in Christianity, including the prosperity gospel and word of faith movement. While the phrase is in the word, it is used in one very important context, Mary. The angel Gabriel called Mary blessed and highly favored because she will carry the son of God in her womb. Mary's response to the greeting was not exaltation uh, and a claiming of blessing, but she was troubled by it, humbly knowing that she was not worthy of such a greeting. But Gabriel assured her that she had found favor with the Lord. It is a good reminder to how to respond when the Lord decides to bless us with anything. Here's another one, it's called, this too shall pass. I confess the saying, uh, this is this in the midst of trying circumstances. It's an overly simplistic statement when you're facing a myriad of issues, but for some reason, it can bring a modicum of comfort. However, it is not scripture. While the origins of this saying are sometimes attributed to Solomon, it isn't in any of his recorded writings in scripture. The most common attribution outside of the biblical king is that it came from a folklore poem by Persian Sophie poets. Okay, this is the next one. This is a very popular one, guys. It says, God helps those who help themselves. Uh, dear, uh, what is it? Uh, Algernon or Algernon Sidney and Benjamin Franklin, uh, thanks for this. Did you know that when you uh, penned and uttered these words, that they were that they would become a bully stick for many in the church? Probably not. Still, the sentiment that God only helps those who help themselves has caused much damage, not only in churches but in society in general. And in sentiment, at its core, goes against Scripture. If God only helps those who help themselves, then why did he send Jesus to the cross to reconcile us to himself? Or why did Jesus say the poor would always be with us? Why are, why are we called to those who are destitute, uh, the widow and the orphan? If they just need to help themselves, certainly we must hold people accountable as we offer help but our requirement to help is not predicated on our ascertaining of the ability to do for themselves. So you see how a lot of people actually believe that that's scripture, but it's not. It says, here's the next one, God wants me to be happy. We often use this uh, when we consider things that we want and need to justify what we want with what we mistakenly think God wants for us. It's not that God wants us to be unhappy. However, his definition of happiness and ours are often vastly different. In fact, when Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, he uses uh, the word blessed nine times in the opening verse. Uh, opening verses, it says, when you look up that word in Strong's of uh, vine and in any other concordance, 
the word dictionary, the, uh, that word means happy, but we should all look very carefully at how Jesus defines happiness. Poor in spirit, peacemakers, pure in heart, persecuted for his name's sake, merciful and meek. It says, how does this line up with our definition of happiness? That's why it's important, guys, that we receive the one true God and we don't get caught up with the snare uh, of the false Jesus that can come forward and preach a false gospel. This is the next one. It says pride comes before the fall. I don't want to waste a lot of time on this, but there's other ones. But, you know, you guys get the point that a lot of things are actually said that are not biblically true. Not at all. But a lot of people are flocking to it and believing it because they don't know their Bibles. You're going to find that this is very critical in these days and in the last days about who teaches you the word of God. We must have sound doctrine. We must know what God says, excuse me, and we must know what God meant if we are going to be successful in keeping the faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to open up with the scripture. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and then we'll get right into this lesson. You see, the Bible simplifies a lot of things that you and I would have trouble with. You know how we can hear somebody speak eloquently and they can give you all these things, give you all these terms, give you all this information. And at the end of it all, all you got to go back into is what did Jesus really say? You see, we kid ourselves sometimes by believing the more we know, the more we'll be better off. But really that can take your mind and put it in a different place. You've got to understand the simplicity of the gospel. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? That's all I'm concerned with. Do you believe the true Jesus Christ, the one of the Bible? I'm not going to go into your eisegesis, exegesis, and apologetics, and hermeneutics, and all that. Hey, man, hey, 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 hey. The Bible says this. Do you believe it? That's where we got to get our minds back to and stop playing around about how much we know, because that mess in the end will snare you. When you start getting into knowledge that's not God's knowledge, you are playing on the devil's battlefield, okay? And God don't put power behind words that are not his. So look at 1 John 4, guys. Look at verse 1. He says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So he says, man, you've got to test these spirits. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, even now is already in the world. So you see, John simplifies it for us. Hey, you confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, do you believe that everything the Bible says that he did when Jesus said these signs will follow them that believe in his name? They would cast out devils. They would speak with new tongues. They would take up serpents. If they drank any deadly thing, it won't hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So when cessation is trying to come at you with some mess about the gifts of the spirit of seas, I always go to them. Show me in the Bible where it says it. That's where they get angry. 
they usually go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and then it says, when all which is perfect is come, that everything will be done away. Of course it will. Why would you need to speak in tongues to Jesus? What demons are you going to be casting out? Or who's going to be sick in heaven when you're in the, in the kingdom of God? So that tells us firsthand that we've got to get to the place of understanding what the scriptures mean. But look at verse five or verse four. He says, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Stop trying to psychologically evaluate people. The Bible makes clear, if you hear the words of the gospel, then you are of God. If you believe not and hear not the words of the gospel, then you are not of God. That gets us to the place of understanding the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Ghost, and the spirit of error. You don't need to go into a lot of contest and trying to figure out this and that. Hey, I know you because of what you've opened your mouth and said. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. Every time. Jesus didn't say sometimes. Every time. Whatever comes out of your mouth is on your heart. My dad used to say what a man has on his mind, he can't keep out of his mouth. That is a fact. Whatever you think about is something that you will speak about. We can't look at it any other way other than what the Bible describes these things as. So let's look at the Mandela effect in the Bible. Let's go to Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two. And let's look at verse seven. Genesis chapter two and verse seven. Man, guys, pray for my strength. I feel worn out. Genesis chapter two, let's look at verse seven. It says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant uh, to the sight of good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden the, uh, to water the garden, and from thence it, it was parted and became into four rivers. All right, I wanna skip through this, so let's look at verse 15. It says, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the, the, uh, the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. Now, you know that he took Eve from his rib. He created Eve. They're in heavenly bliss. God gave them one commandment. 
Now let's skip it over to Genesis chapter three, which I read earlier, but no time like the present to make a point. It says in Genesis three and verse one, now the serpent was more subtle. So we understand subtle. He was soft, he was sneaky than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. Now, let me ask you guys this. If the serpent was that subtle in that day, does a snake change his tactics? Does the snake stop becoming a snake and begins to believe something different? So we know today, even as in this time, that we're dealing with the same forked tongue, no good for nothing, enemy of God, the father of lies. If he was more subtle than any beast of the field then, he's probably even more subtle now because he's had years of experience in deceiving man. And it says, uh, which the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, yea, have God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, you know, there's something else that the Lord is bringing to uh, my attention right now. Why would Satan come and actually say that to them? He obviously heard it himself, okay? He obviously heard and knew what God actually said. So therefore, he's coming forward with a question talking about did God really say that you shall not eat of the trees of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. So Eve is sticking to the doctrine, telling the devil up front. No, she told them straightforward, hey, we may eat of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, we shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. One thing that the Lord did not say is that if you touch it, you will die. That part is not in Genesis 2. So maybe she added something to it, but the bottom line is, so far, she's somewhat on point. It says, and the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in that day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So Eve had received secondhand information. You know, I never thought about that too, that what Eve received came from Adam, but what Adam received came from the Lord. He made Adam first and told Adam about the garden. Did Adam relating information back righteously? Maybe. But the bottom line here is Adam received the firsthand information from the Lord. Eve received secondhand information from Adam. But the serpent told her, God is a liar. You know, I know that, you know, people will believe that Jesus Christ had already come back, but you got to show me in the Bible where it actually says that, where everything plays out just as it's supposed to. This is how you and I need to cling to the scriptures and believe God. If you didn't hear it from God and you didn't read it in your Bible, then don't believe a man's philosophy. You've got to stay on point because your eternal soul is in question. So anyway, look at it, look what it says. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so she saw it was good for food, all right? The Bible never says, don't touch anything that is disgusting, but anything that looks good is good for you. The Bible never tells us to approach that way. All even Adam had to do was cling to the word of God. But instead, she judged with her own senses. It does, after all, look good. So when she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes 
and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took the, the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So you guys know the story concerning Adam and Eve in this whole situation. They fell. They fell out of God's good graces. They heard what God said, and all they had to do was believe it. But the devil coming with the Mandela effect, are you sure? You know, when they said, well, the Lord said this, are you sure you heard correctly? Because that doesn't sound like the Lord I know. You see, and this is how people will deceive you through their philosophy. I believe firsthand that the Mandela effect, some things about it are true. Other things are pure lies. I do believe that people can distort history and say the things that they want to say and do what they want to do. And because you and I don't pay attention to the works that a lot of them do, they can deceive us. You know, I remember quite a few things that, that they said in history happened. And then when I actually look it up, it says that something else went on. You know, like when you might remember a particular movie or something came out, but they'll try and tell you, no, it was 1986. And you're like, man, I remember I was 12 years old. I went to the theater. I saw this. But they're telling you, no, it was 1986. Now, this is not even important. We're going to get into what is important. But we must know that the devil, if he can attempt to control your mind, he will do so. But you've got to stick to what you know that the Bible says. And electronic Bibles that I'm looking at right now, they're pretty good. They're cool. But you see, I would be skeptical and relate everything to the scriptures, because if they can actually switch around the meaning of something, they can go right into a, an electronic app, okay, and put in whatever words they want and have you think that you're going crazy. So I would, I would encourage anyone to have a Bible, you know, not too early either, one going back a little bit, that you may know what the Bible says. You're going to find why this is important. Because a lot of people are saying that in um, Isaiah uh, verses 11, I mean, Isaiah chapter 11, some people remember that the, uh, the lamb lays down with the lion. But they're saying that people misunderstood the scriptures that it says the wolf will lay down with the lion. Now, a lot of people are running around today trying to prove the point, saying that they have proof that it said lion and not, and not wolf or whatever. You know what? That's not even really that important. But it is something that if they're able to do that, let's just say that's the case, then the devil can deceive you into a lie because you don't know the Bible. That's why, along with knowing the Bible, you've got to know the Lord yourself through a relationship. Okay, so let's go to um, let's go to Luke chapter four, and then I'm gonna um, let you guys see an article on uh, how these people are um, messing with history and messing with people's minds. So the devil wants to make it so bad, guys, that you won't be able to believe your own eyes and ears. That's why the Bible tells us what we need to do, that we can stay in good standing with the Lord. We've got to get in his word. We've got to desire this more than anything until the word of God is actually living in you. Because the devil is going to see you guys think the strong delusion is just some kind of false doctrine. No. Times are going to get so bad, guys, that you won't even be able to trust in your own senses if you have not the mind of Christ. That's how thick this whole thing is going to get. So let's go to Luke chapter four. Now the devil's gonna try and run the same tactic. Luke chapter four, 
And let's look at verse one. And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterwards, he hungered. I wouldn't even doubt that the devil wouldn't try and distort this and say that it wasn't 40 days, it was 20 days. You guys wait and see. This is how crazy it's actually going to get. But it says, and the devil said unto him, if thou be the son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. So just how he offered Eve the fruit that it would look good. Imagine how good a piece of bread will look when you've been fasting for 40 days. But look at verse four, and Jesus answered him saying, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So as you can see, Jesus probably saw that the uh, bread looked good, but Jesus's whole thing was, man, I'm not resting in my senses. I'm not resting into my feelings. I'm resting in what is written, the word of God. And if God commanded Jesus that he shouldn't live by bread alone, but to obey the spirit of God, that's what you and I need to do. Look at verse five. And the devil taking him up into a high mountain shewed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. So the devil's making clear that he runs the world and he's saying, hey, I can give you anything. I can make you king, I can make you emperor. I can give you all these kingdoms in a moment of time. And the devil, uh, let's see, uh, look at verse seven. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. So what did he try and offer Jesus to do? To be in, you know, one of his little servants in the kingdom, in his kingdom. And Jesus answered and said unto him, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Jesus kept going back to what was written. He never went in with his own feelings. He never went into what his senses told him, how something looked. Jesus goes right back to scripture and says, he will worship the Lord his God and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands, they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Another interesting thing here concerning the devil, he took Jesus and put him on the pinnacle of a temple. And when he brought him to the temple, the devil quoted scripture to him. The devil, the devil quoted Psalm 91 to Jesus, to get Jesus to obey the devil. Look at how the devil turned religious when it was an opportunity for him that he could actually attempt to control Jesus's mind to get Jesus to follow him. He says, okay, since you're a Bible thumper, I'm gonna give you the word. This is how the devil is working in churches all over. 
A lot of people will fall in love with their pastors. They'll fall in love with their teachers. Their teachers will be saying everything wrong, even bringing a false gospel. But because he makes people feel good, people will sit there and actually adopt it as the true gospel. No, we've got a priority to serve the Lord, to cling to the faith, to hold the Bible as the final authority, and we can accept no substitutes if we call ourselves Christians. So he quoted scripture to him. He says, and in their hands, they shall bear thee up less than any time, thou dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, it is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Jesus always took it back to scripture. When you've got the mind of Christ, the Lord will always keep you in the scriptures. The Lord will speak to you and tell you when doctrines and things are wrong. This is gonna be so important, guys, because if the devil, 4,000 years before Christ, did this, then you know if he's gonna do it 2,000 years from after Christ. He's doing this today. He's conning, he's bringing in false gospel. He's making you believe that if you preach a, a gospel about the goodness and the severity of God, that they will tell you that you're a hater. If you say that homosexuality is a sin, an abomination, they have come up with the Queen James Bible to try and remove every scripture that goes against the true doctrine of what God wants us to know. And the devil's not done yet. He's gonna start burning Bibles. He's gonna have some of your favorite pastors out there sold out. And you see, you can't afford to follow men at this time. That's why Pastor Price has always said, and I tell you to have your Bibles out in front. Because if a man goes off course, the word of God is supposed to be there to get you back in line. We should be in the place of like Bereans, testing, seeing what's true, seeing what's right. Okay, Derek Hallett said a good message. Now what I'm gonna do is this. I'm gonna get into my word. I'm gonna copy every scripture that he brought down and I am going to study it myself to see if it is true. Trust me, guys, you won't offend me. Okay, because when I say things that are not right, the Holy Spirit himself comes and tells me, you could have said that better or that was wrong or this is actually what it meant. But the safety valve in it all is having the Holy Spirit and having your Bible out in front, wearing your armor, okay, and having the mind of Christ. Because if not, the devil is gonna entice you and seduce you and sell you on things that God never said. This is 100% the Mandela effect. This is what's going on, and this is how the devil works. Now, I'm gonna read this thing to you guys that you're gonna find interesting. I'm gonna give you the uh, what the article is, and I'm gonna post everything I have in the description box. But uh, this is called How Liars Create the Illusion of Truth. So you guys wanna hear this how liars create the illusion of truth. Look at this, guys. Ooh. Okay, it says, repetition makes a fact seem more true, regardless of whether or not, or whether it is or not. Understanding this effect can help you avoid falling for propaganda, says psychologist, Tom Stafford. So 
So we're not really worried about what Tom Stafford says, except that he brings forward truth. If it contradicts the Bible, then Tom's information is out. But I'm gonna tell you guys, this actually happened to me. I heard it preached once by people that, you know, you guys remember when it came down to uh, Deborah. I uh, remember when Deborah became a judge and it said that when uh, Deborah was chosen because Barack was supposed to go, that it said that Deborah um, said that you are giving your strength unto a woman for not going. Do you know that whole time, and I preached it as such, that I thought that Deborah was speaking about herself. I thought Deborah was mentioning that if you don't go, Barack, and I go for you, that you're giving your strength unto a woman. Do you know it was Sister Melissa, who is actually on right now, who doesn't even know the Bible as well as I do, read the Bible or read that chapter thoroughly and said to me, that's not what she was talking about. She wasn't talking about a Deborah. She was talking about the woman that would kill the man that Barack was supposed to kill. But you see, this is exactly how it can happen where I began to preach that Deborah was the judge and that Barack was giving his strength unto Deborah if he didn't go. It didn't have anything to do with that at all. Sure enough, I looked the scripture over and I saw I was wrong. And I mean, that was a good little punch to the gut because, you know, Melissa is someone who's been a part of this ministry that don't even study the Bible as well, but she has that one, right? So I have learned not to just listen to what people are telling you, man. You've got to study this word for yourself that you may know what God says. I'm not ashamed to say that. It was embarrassing, but you know what? Now I can preach it right. So it says, repeat a lie often enough and it becomes the truth. It, it's a law or is a law of propaganda often attributed to the Nazi Joseph Goebbels? It says among psychologists, something like this known as the illusion of effect or of truth effect. Here's how the typical experiment on the effect works. Participants rate how true trivia items are, things like a prune that is dried, like a prune is a dried plum. Sometimes uh, these items are true like that one, but sometimes participants see a parallel version which isn't true, something like a date is a dried plum. So it says uh, after a break, of minutes or even weeks, the participants do the procedure again. But this time, some of the items they rate are new and some they saw before in the first phase. Uh, the key finding is that people tend to rate items uh, they've seen before as more likely to be true, regardless of whether they are true or not. And seemingly for the sole reason that they are more familiar. So here, captured in a lab seems to be a source for the saying that if you repeat a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. And if you look around yourself, you may start to think that everyone from advertisers to politicians are taking advantage of this foilable of human, of this of foible, sorry, of human psychology. But a reliable effect uh, in the lab isn't necessarily an important effect on people's real world beliefs. If you really could make a lie 
sound true by repetition, there be no need for all the other techniques of persuasion. It says uh, one obstacle is what you already know. Even if a lie sounds plausible, uh, why would you set what you know aside uh, just because you heard the lie repeatedly? So pretty much what they're saying is, is this. What they're trying to say is that if you and I know the Bible, let's just say we know the scriptures by heart, why would we set aside the truth for lies? Let's look at the reason that they say. Recently, a team led by Lisa Fazio of Vanderbilt University uh, set out to test how the illusion of truth affects, uh, the uh, illusion of truth effect interacts with our prior knowledge. Would it affect our existing knowledge? They used paired uh, true and untrue statements, but also split their items according to how likely participants were to know the truth. So the Pacific Ocean is the largest ocean on earth. And an example of the known items, which also uh, happens to be true, and the Atlantic Ocean is the largest ocean on earth, is an untrue item for which people are likely to know the actual truth. Their results show that the illusion of truth effect worked just as strongly uh, for known as for unknown items, uh, suggesting that prior knowledge won't prevent repetition uh, from swaying our judgment of plausibility. It says to cover all bases, the researchers performed one study in which the, the participants were asked to rate how true each statement seemed on a six point scale, and one where they are just categorized each fact as true or false. Repetition pushed the average item up to six point scale and increased the odds that the statement would be categorized as true. For statements that were actually fact or fiction, known or unknown, repetition or repetition uh, made them all seem more believable. Nothing but truth. You know, police officers know this. Police officers themselves would, uh, when they're interrogating people, they'll actually say to the person, so you bought the beer at 11.15. Yep, 11.15. All right, so you bought the beer at 11.15. They'll say, yep, at 11.15. So you are 100% sure, you are without a doubt certain that you bought that beer at 12.15. And they'd be, yep, I am absolutely sure that I bought the beer at 12.15. They say, uh-huh, you see? <laughs> but this is how, when they run your mind over and over again, they can deceive you. I personally believe that the guy that I was debating that day tried to do the same thing to me. He tried to run me over the scripture again and again and again, and then he tried to induct what he believed. But thank God for Jesus that I was on point you know, that I didn't fall for what he did. But what you find, even in most debates, people will ask foolish questions, try and frustrate you, try and do things to you so that you, you can lose your train of thought. Most of the time they do this when these people are in hot water and then they'll try to ingest their so-called truth to try and get you to fall in line with it. So it says, at first, this looks like bad news for human rationality. 
but I can't emphasize this strongly enough when interpreting psychological uh, science. Uh, you have to look at the actual numbers. What Fazio and colleagues actually found is that the biggest influence on whether a statement was judged to be true was whether it actually was true. The repetition effect couldn't mask the truth. With or without repetition, uh, people were still more likely to believe the actual facts as opposed to the lies. I'm going to give you guys another example of this that my sister Dawn, if she's on tonight, she will remember this as well. I remember one time we were in high school, my sister Dawn and I were on the train, okay? And we were going over, I mean, some older people may remember this, but there was a series between the Knicks and the Chicago Bulls. Now, there was one game where there was a, um, a basketball player, Charles Smith, he was trying to jump up and score, but the Bulls, I think it was Jordan and Pippen, kept cutting him down, kept knocking the ball out of his hand. They played defense until they won the game. My sister Dawn, who was not as, you know, into sports as I was, said that, no, Derek, that was game three. And I'm arguing with her, no, it was game five. We were going back and forth. This is before the internet and all this stuff came up. So I found a guy sitting across from us that I was like, yo, my man, I'm telling you firsthand, you know, wasn't it game five? Because remember when Jordan did this and did that? And my sister was arguing. She was almost to the point of anger because she remembered it was game three. So the guy took one look at her as a girl and looked at me as a guy and said, nah, nah, it was game five. And we sat there and argued that point until we found people that really knew when that game was. And sure enough, it was game three. But you see, I might have sound more convincing, but my sister actually was telling the truth. So we can't afford to judge with our senses. We've got to know that we know. I promise, guys, we're going to get into scriptures, but I'm just trying to make this point. Just because something sounds more convincing does not make it all true. Jesus Christ and the Bible is our final authority on what we should believe and not believe. It says this shows something fundamental about how we update our beliefs. Reputation or repetition has a power to make things sound more true even when we know differently, but it doesn't override that knowledge. The next question has to be, why might that be? The answer is to do with the effort it takes uh, to being rigidly logical about every piece of information you hear. If every time you heard something, you assessed it against everything you already knew, you think to, you, you, you still, um, you'd still be thinking about breakfast at supper time because we need to make quick judgments. We adopt shortcuts, heuristics, uh, which are um, right more often than wrong, relying on how often you've heard something to judge how truthful something feels is just one strategy. Any universe where truth gets repeated more often than lies even if the 51% versus 49% will be one where this is a quick and dirty rule for judging facts. You know, so it's just making clear. I'll get back into this. 
This is pretty lengthy, guys, but you want to look this over and see what it actually says. Because you see me, I've got a loud voice. I've got a big mouth. There are times I can even sound aggressive, so I can sound pretty convincing. But what if what I told you was a lie? You see what I'm saying? What if someone came along very calm to try and prove their point and I'm beating that person in a debate? Would that mean that I'm right? But you see, these are the things that people flock to. Because I shouted and wouldn't let the guy make his point, you know, it seems like, man, you shut his mouth. Well, how could he talk over that siren that you have for a mouth? You've got to be able to judge and discern right from wrong and not get caught up in emotions. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll get back into this, guys, I promise. And I just want to make a few points. You've got to know the word of God for yourself. It says, study to shew thyself um, approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And it says to show yourself approved unto God, not unto men. So you study this word until God can use your mouth to preach the gospel or know what you're saying is right, okay? You've got to study because he made clear another example of the uh, Mandela effect was Hymenaeus and Philetus in that same chapter, telling people that the resurrection had already come. And what did it do? It overthrew the faith of some, where people would have been waiting for the coming of Christ because Hymenaeus and Philetus sounded convincing and was bringing up all this other trash, it overthrew the faith of some. But for us, we've got to know that we know that we know. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 11. And let's look at verse one. Ooh, Lord, give me strength. It says, would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So Paul says that he's jealous over the Corinthians with godly jealousy, and he has espoused or engaged them to one husband who is Christ, that he may present us as a chaste virgin. But he's recognizing something here in verse three. He says, but I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, look at the word subtlety. This is G3834. That word is craftiness, cunning, uh, a spacious, I mean, a spacious or false wisdom. In a good sense, prudence, skill in undertaking and carrying on affairs. So you see the devil is cunning, the devil is crafty, the devil has many ways that he can try and get you and I off course, but we've got to trust in God. So he says, he fears lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might bear well with him. So as you can see, guys, we've got to know the right Jesus. 
We've got to know the right gospel and we must have the right spirit because outside of that, the devil will turn you around and get you to believe something that you swear is true, but you can be dead wrong. We must anchor ourselves in God's word. We must study because I'm telling you guys what is on the brink and what is coming. It's just gonna be, if you're not anchored in Christ, you're not gonna know which, which way is up or which way is down. You're not gonna know left or right. They are going to try and convince you. I already see it playing out. People are telling you that Jesus never preached against homosexuality. They might acknowledge Paul. They may acknowledge the um, Leviticus, but they'll tell you Jesus never once mentioned homosexuality. You know how you know that's a lie? Because Jesus says about, Jesus spoke about fornication. Fornication is the Greek word pornia, which mentions homosexuality, bestiality, sodomy, and all the other things that you can think of. All those things are lumped together under sexual immorality. So don't let people kid you with that. Paul may have put more emphasis on it, but Jesus lumped it all up in one box, fornication. Whatever fornication is, we're not supposed to be doing. But people will try and tell you they're doing it today. Jesus never preached against homosexuality. That's a lie birthed out of hell. Because if it made clear that in the book of Peter, I believe it is, if someone can find that scripture, uh, please uh, share it. But Peter said that what was in the prophets was the spirit of Jesus Christ. So you guys can do a Google search on spirit of Christ, but it made clear that there was no one that preached the gospel that did not have the spirit of Jesus. So that makes the point loud and clear right there that the Lord did preach against homosexuality. There are a lot of people that are gonna try and influence you with their feelings in this thing, but you've got to go back to having the mind of Christ and what is written. Now let's scroll down. Let's look at verse 10. It says, as the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth. But what I do that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. So you see people, the reason why the devil has been successful, because a lot of people think if I go to church, if I'm just sitting up in any church, that I'm safe. No, the devil has infiltrated the churches too. And just because someone calls themselves a, a professional minister or preacher does not mean that they are giving you the proper gospel in the Bible. You know, because if it was all about false preachers out there giving the word and, you know, I'm convinced that I need to go to church, I'd rather be home with my Bible open than to go and join a false church. You're probably better off that the spirit of God can actually speak to you, teach you and give you what you need so that you can stay in the truth. All right. But the point being brought here, these guys are false apostles, deceitful workers 
they transformed themselves into the apostles of Christ. This is why the Jehovah Witnesses have been successful because they preach some truth mixed in with a bunch of lies. This is why the Mormons have been successful because they call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That sounds good. Everyone loves to use the name of Jesus. Everybody claims that they're a servant of Christ. Everybody's calling themselves Christians, but many of them are preaching that which is not Christian. We must cling to the simplicity of Christ. If the Bible didn't say it, and God didn't tell you that that cannot be true. That word for transforming themselves, this is G3345, and that word is metaschismazito. Or metaschismatizo, uh, uh, and it means to change the figure of or to transform. So you see, we're gonna get to a place where we're not gonna be able to believe our eyes. We have to believe in what is written, what is preached, having the spirit of discernment that we may have our senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Because the Mandela effect is just the beginning of it. They're trying to sell you on false memories so that you won't believe what the Bible says. The whole goal of that being brought forward is that you and I may not know or believe what the Bible says, period. So it says in verse 14, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So you need the mind of Christ. You need to be able to see what God is saying to you. You can't go according with the collective or with the group or with the majority. If your pastor is wrong and you've got scripture proving he's wrong, tell him he's wrong. Don't be afraid of him. I tell people here all the time, I get challenged. You know, people will come and tell me, well, brother Derek, you said this right, but that wasn't right. And if they're right, praise the Lord. But stop believing lies simply because somebody said it. You've got to study and know the Lord for yourself, okay? Because there's even gonna be Bible scriptures here that we're gonna be looking at that a lot of people will think were changed, but they're saying that they weren't. They were always that way. Were they or weren't they? I don't know. But that's why we gotta get ourselves in the middle of the road hear the words of God, choose to believe them and go forward with the Lord because we will get to a place, guys, where we will not be able to see outside of the box. It's gonna be too gray. It's gonna be too dark, too deceiving, too dirty. All we gotta know is this, is Jesus Christ and him crucified. We've got to stay in the middle of the road. So we're gonna look at more examples because I wanna make some of these. Uh, and then we're going to go into another scripture, okay? So I want to get back into looking at some of these images just to make a few more points, okay? And we'll get right back into the scriptures. But guys, we cannot afford, okay, to play around with our salvation or to believe false doctrine because people simply we like and we want to believe it. We've got to study to shoot ourselves approved unto God. 
because your eyes will, <laughs> they're not going to be enough to get you through this one. All right, so let's do this again. Right. Let me push this back a little, which you guys may see. Hopefully you guys can see this clearly. I think we went over some of these examples. Uh, let's see what else we got here. I know that Kit Kat had a hyphen in it. I know that for a fact. But if you go down, there's the Mona Lisa. It says there is one with a slight smile and one with almost no smile. And it says there are a lot of theories about this one, but so many people have claimed that she used to have a more obvious smile. You see, and, and this is just the peak of it. CP3O, you guys remember from um, Star Wars, it says that um, he has a silver leg. Now, for the life of me, because I've seen these in the theaters, I don't even remember him having a silver leg. I thought he was all gold. But they claimed that he had one leg that was silver. Okay, but the, the truth is, both of these uh, are right. There was a point that I looked up where he actually had two legs that were gold. But he was taken apart, I think, by Ewoks or somebody, and then they eventually put a silver leg on him. But you see, knowing the truth, I know this is hardly relevant to anything important, but I'm just making examples to showing you that they just said straight out that he had no silver or he had a silver leg. He didn't always. Flintstones, was it spelled like the one on the right or the one on the left? Hopefully you guys can see it. It says Flintstones has two T's. I remember them having one T. All right, this is just a couple of examples and we'll get right back to the scriptures. Okay, now did Forrest Gump say, life is like a box of chocolates? That was one of my favorite movies at one time. And I remember him saying, life is like a box of chocolates, but this is what they say that he said. Is not what Forrest Gump played uh, by the amazing Tom Hanks actually said. It says, if you listen closely, he says, life was like a box of chocolates. Uh, we're, re we're regretting all of those Instagram captions right about now. So I believe it says, he says, is like, but they said, if you listen carefully, it's was like. Is that true? I don't know. This is the next example of Snow White. It says that we have always uh, coined the phrase, mirror, mirror on the wall. That's what I thought it says. But if you go back and you look at the original, it's called magic mirror on the wall. Could this be true? Possibly, because you know, so many people will quote things out of context when they see a movie or, or, or quote it wrongly, I should say, when they watch a movie and they'll go back and repeat it. But you see, this is just an example of how we can think that we're so right and be dead wrong. The word is magic mirror, but they said it says mirror mirror. This is another one. For all you Star Wars fans out there, it says the term is Luke, I am your father. Honestly, this was one that cut deep. Perhaps the most famous movie line in history 
wasn't even said. Uh, all he really said was, I am your father. And some people will believe outright, no. He says Luke, but they're saying that he says, I am your father. Luke was never mentioned. One more, guys, and we'll get back to the scriptures. Okay, let me find something that. Okay, Mr. Rogers theme song. This is where we're really showing our age. And it says, you might start singing the lyric, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It says, especially with the upcoming Tom Hanks film, but even the movie makers got it wrong. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a small but mighty blow to our memories. I remember him saying a beautiful day in the neighborhood, but they're saying it's this. But you see guys, these are just examples of how we can misquote things, get things wrong, all because we have not studied the word of God ourselves. So, all right, we're gonna get back in it, but I just wanted to make those points because you see, if we don't know what something is, we can be deceived. Okay. No, you're not gonna be tested, Sister Teresa. Okay, but it's one of those things where some of us may have memories of things that we have, and, and they're saying that a lot of these memories are false. But you know, I think when a lot of people come to one conclusion, I'm not gonna say the majority, sometimes you can be absolutely right. And I didn't get to finish reading that article that actually talks about why they're doing what they're doing. So after the teaching, wait about 20 minutes, and you guys, we will go into the description box, okay, and be able to, um, you'll be able to pull it up and uh, be able to read that article over. But there is a lot of mind control involved in this thing where they're trying to deceive people, okay? So let's go to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. You guys wait there for me. There's one more thing I want to read to you. I heard Pastor Price say something um, during the um, Omega Ministries Soldiers of Light conference that went on in July. I was explaining a point about the Jezebel spirit, and Pastor Price said to me, what Brother Derek was explaining is called gaslighting. You know, I've never heard the term gaslighting before, but I am going to give you guys the definition because I believe that in many cases, this is what the devil tries to do to us. So we're gonna look up the definition of gaslighting, but Pastor Price mentioned a movie that was going on. And you know, anytime a movie shows you something, these things could be going on in reality. So this is Wikipedia. You guys look at the term gaslighting. And it says, gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person seeks to sow seeds of doubt in a targeted individual or in members of a targeted group, making them question their own memory, perception, and sanity. Using persistent denial, misdirection, contradiction, and lying, gaslighting involves attempts to destabilize the victim and delegate and delegitimize, I think that's it, delegitimize, sorry, of the victim's beliefs. Instances range from the denial, 
by an abuser that previous um, abusive incidents ever occurred to the staging of bizarre events by the abuser with the intention of disorienting the victim. The term originated from the 1938 Patrick Hamilton play, Gaslight, and its 1940 and 1944 film adaptations, both titled Gaslight, in which a character tries to make his wife believe that she's gone insane in order to cover his own criminal activities when he turns up the gas field lights in the upstairs apartment in order to search for a murdered woman's jewels. The gas lights in his own apartment grow dimmer, but he convinces his wife that she is imagining the change. The term has been used in clinical and research literature, as well as in political commentary. So as you can see, gaslighting is what it's called. And I believe in many cases, that's what they're doing. The devil wants you to not believe in what it is that you're hearing or seeing. These are things that we must be made aware of and we've got to be like Jesus and go right back to what is written, what you know. Don't let people lead you out there into packs of lies and all sorts of things. And look at, uh, this is not, this is another thing, and we'll get right to the scriptures. This is something else about gaslighting that may be helpful for some of us. These are 11 warning signs of gaslighting. This is called psychology today, because there are people that still do this to people. This is the first. They tell blatant lies. It says you won't, I mean, you know it's an outright lie yet they are telling you this lie with a straight face. Why are they so blatant? Because they're setting up a precedent. Uh, once you tell a huge lie, uh, you're not sure if anything uh, they say is true. Keeping you unsteady and off kilter is the goal. This is the second one. They deny they ever said something, even though you have proof. Now, you know how many presidents and politicians do this same stuff where they'll say something outright and then tell you that they never said it because they've got the power and there's nothing that you and I can do about it. Look at, uh, this is it. It says, to know they said, to know they said they would do something, you know you heard it, but they outright deny it. Uh, it makes you start questioning your reality. Maybe they never said that thing or the more they do this, the more you question your reality and start accepting theirs. This is the next one, this is three. They use what is near and dear to you as ammunition. This is four. They wear you down over time. This is five. Their actions do not match their words. This is six. They throw in positive reinforcement to confuse you. This is what the devil did to Eve and what he tried to do to Jesus. He says, you won't surely die. You will be as gods, knowing good and evil. They were correct that they would be lowercase g gods and they would know good and evil, but he lied to them about that they wouldn't die. You see, the devil always has to mix in lies with truth in order to confuse you. So this is gaslighting. This is seven, they know confusion weakens people. 
This is A, they project. They are a drug user or a cheater, yet they are constantly accusing you of that. This is done so often that they start trying to defend, or you start trying to defend yourself and are distracted from the gaslighter's own behavior. This is none. They try to align people against you. This is uh, 10. They tell you, you or others, you or others that you are crazy. This is 11. They tell you everyone else is a liar. So as you can see, those are some of the things that gaslighters do. These are the tactics of the devil. What did the devil do with Adam and Eve? He called God a liar. He said, man, God really knows the truth. He just don't want you to know that you can be a God. He mixed in lies with truth and he enticed them to fall. What is the devil doing today through the Mandela effect, through all this mind control and this gaslighting that he's doing, trying to get you and I to not believe in the truth in Jesus Christ. All right, so look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, guys. We're gonna look at gaslighting here, okay? Because this definitely isn't the Mandela effect. It wasn't whether or not they didn't know. They were told outright, and they still went and did what they wanted to do. So look at 1 Samuel 15, guys. Look at verse one. It says, Samuel also said unto Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman and infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now, you know, some people will look at the Bible here. How could God want to kill all these Amalekites? Men and women and infants and sucklings and the sheep and all this? This seems like God is just, you know, angry and wants to kill everybody. But we know from Bible study that the Amalekites themselves were a tribe of giants. You guys want more information of that? Look at Numbers 13, how the Bible describes them, that they were as big as the Anakins. They were huge. They were one of the tribes that the Israelites fought against. So God knows that these were not humans the way that you and I would look at them as being. Look at verse five. And Saul came to a city of Amalek, and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, go depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye shewed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So the Kenites, because they were friendly to the children of Israel, they told the Kenites, hey, we're getting ready to destroy the Amalekites. So you guys may not want to hang around them. Okay, so the Kenites departed from amongst it. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until they cometh to Shur, that, um, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag 
and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refused that they utterly, that they destroy utterly. So as you can see, Saul was given directions of Samuel from the Lord that he was to destroy everything, not even bring back the sheep nor oxen or anything from the Amalekites camp. But what did Saul do? He brought back the King Agag as a sort of trophy, okay? And he brought back, um, the you know, a few, uh, he brought back sheep and oxen because he wanted to give the Lord a sacrifice. So what did Saul do here? He disobeyed the word of God. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel saying, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me and have not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel arose early, to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him, blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So you guys looking at this? Saul did not obey God but he's making it clear, hey, blessed be the Lord and blessed be the word of the Lord. I have fulfilled the commandment of the Lord. So what is he doing? He's playing dumb. He knows for sure that God didn't tell him that and that wasn't the direction from Samuel, but he's trying to convince Samuel that he did what God said. Look at verse 14. And Samuel said, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear. In other words, he's saying to Samuel this, or Samuel saying to him, okay, so if you fulfill the Lord's will, why do I hear sheep bleeding and oxen moving around in the background, Saul? What's going on here? So it says in verse 15, and Saul says, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people, spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So you see, Saul knows he's wrong, but what he's presenting is kind of like in a joyous way. He's saying it happily. Oh, why are they here? Because the people brought him back and we're gonna give God this great big party and make a sacrifice unto him. Hey, wait a minute, man, that wasn't the commandment. But you see, a lot of false teachers and preachers today will do this. They'll make you laugh. They'll tell you God loves you. They'll make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. And they will try and take you out with false doctrine. You see, we must be smart enough to have our senses exercised. Never mind the hugs. Never mind the smiles. Never mind the cookies and the cakes. Are you preaching what is beneficial to me? Did it come from God or did it come from you? That's what we better be asking. So it says in verse 16, that Samuel said unto Saul, stay and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, say on. And Samuel said, when thou was little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? 
and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel, and the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. So he's asking him, why did you do this? And Saul said unto Samuel, yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of the Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. So what is he trying to sell them on? His lie. Knowing that he didn't do what God says, but this is another case of David, not David, of uh, Abel and Cain. Cain gave the Lord whatever he thought was okay. But as you can see, Abel followed the Lord to a T. Unless we believe the soundness of the doctrine and we only believe some of it, it will not be beneficial to us. We have to follow that which is written. But what you find here is Saul is still lying, saying that he obeyed the Lord and the voice of the Lord and everything else, and he brought back the king Agag. Look at verse 21. But the people took of the spoil sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, uh, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. So once again, you find another character like Saul who was in hot water, okay, that is now accusing the people, blaming them, when after all, he was made king. A lot of people make excuses for their ministers and pastors this way. He's a good man. He's only good if Christ lives in him. He's only good if he preaches what Jesus tells him to preach, okay? But people tend to relate their feelings to a situation. Oh no, he's okay, because he makes me laugh. Nah, bro, did he say what was true or did he say what was false? We've got to get in that place of understanding what God wants. So he's, he's blaming the people now. And verse 22 says, and Samuel said, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Don't you know that Jesus knew this? Don't you know that Jesus said outright, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God? We've got to get to the place too in believing the truth of the gospel. And I don't care if your family members are homosexual. I don't care if anybody in your family is an alcoholic, a fornicator, a liar, or thief. I don't care if they're Muslim. I don't care if they're Buddhist. I don't care if they're Hindu. The bottom line is if we call ourselves Christians, we've got to stick to the gospel and we have to tell people what is written. Because another big lie being promoted today is there are many paths to Jesus. You know, before uh, Billy Graham left here, Billy Graham was a man that, you know, led a lot of people to the truth. I don't, you know, know if I believe his whole story, but at one point his ministry was somewhat sound. But towards the end of his death, he said a lot of people really do worship Jesus, whether they're conscious of it or not. And you can be a Buddhist, a Hindu, or this or that, and you know, and still see the kingdom of God. 
So you see, he went off the deep end. But you know how many people were fans of Billy Graham that may go off the deep end too because they loved his personality? No, we've got to go back to Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but through Jesus Christ. We've got to stick to the doctrine. So he says to obey is better than sacrifice. Follow the voice of God. Don't try and fast when you messed up. I mean, of course, you know, sometimes the spirit may lead you to want to do what's right. But you see, if you obey God, you don't have to perform all these works to try and, you know, gain favor with him. We've got to believe the truth that is written. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. So as you can see, God doesn't fool around. When he says a thing that he wants us to know, he wants us to know it. But if we choose not to believe what he says, then we will believe the lies. That's why we started this thing out with the spirit of truth, and the spirit of error. You either, you either believe what is written or you will be subject to the lies and the snare of the devil. That's what this whole thing is about, guys, this whole thing. You know what, let's go to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six. Did you see Saul was gonna gaslight as long as he could, other than fess up. And I didn't even read verses 24 and 25. Read them in your spare time. But Saul made clear that I feared the people is why I brought these sheep back. So there you have it. Most people believe what the majority says out of fear of rejection, fear of isolation, you know, not wanting to study and check it out themselves. They will believe the lie. Hey, brother Gary and sister Heather, I got your email earlier, but I did not have time to respond. So I hope you guys are doing well. Okay, we're keeping you in prayer. All right, so look at Ephesians 6. And let's look at verse 10. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So it is not our might, it's in the power of the might of Jesus Christ. He says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So you guys look at the word wiles here. This is G3180. That word is methodia. It means like kind of like methods or plots or plans or schemes. It's called cunning arts, deceit, craft, and trickery. One thing we know about the Antichrist, if you guys read Daniel 8 in your spare time, that upon his kingdom, the word makes clear that he would cause craft to prosper. The devil is pulling out all stops now because he knows his time is short, but we've got to stick to the word of God. Don't believe in all this false memory garbage. Okay, because the devil would love to tell you, oh, that's not what it meant, but let me show you what it means. The same thing he did to Adam and Eve. So you see, we must put on the whole armor of God 
that we don't fall into the snare of the tricks or wiles of the devil. Okay? He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. So when you look at it here, you know, that word for uh, principalities is the Greek word arche. That's where we get the word archon. It means magistrate or government. You don't see that the devil is using the magistrate or government to have his will done, to push laws, telling you that homosexuality is okay, to tell you that abortion is legal, to tell you all these different things that are contrary to the word of God. These are the principalities that the devil is using to allow these things to come forward so that you and I may not believe the gospel. He says against powers, that word is exousia. That means authorities. That's what happens when you don't obey the RK or the magistrate or government. He will send the authorities or those ruling powers over you to enforce the law. He says against rulers. The Greek word for ruler is cosmocrater. That's like world rulers. You see this whole system is set up in hierarchy. What you're looking at here is those things come down from the top. Just how Saul heard from Samuel who heard from the Lord, there are real people in this world that hear from the devil directly. John Todd said before he died or he was killed, he mentioned that at the Rothschild mansion that they have you know, um, 13 chairs, 12 of the family members sit in the chairs and they said Lucifer sits in the 13th. Is this true? I don't know, but they lay out food for him. There are people that know the devil for real. What's breathing on the neck of these scientists to create these weapons of mass destruction? What's, what's breathing on these philosophers and these professors? that are coming up with theories of evolution and telling people things that are contrary to the Bible. It is the principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world and the spiritual wickedness in high places that are making sure that we get a steady diet of delusion. So anyway, he says in verse 13, wherefore, because we know all this, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So he wants us to wear the full armor that we may not be penetrated by the tricks and the traps of the devil. This is an age, guys, where we cannot afford to take our armor off. We can't afford to sit up under any congregation. We can't afford to believe the hype simply because someone said it nicely. You've got to know what is truth and what is false. And you can begin with the word of God in knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So he says that you may be able to withstand. So it's making clear here that the blows are going to come. The devil's gonna try and knock you off. He's going to try and attack you, but you've got to wear that armor and withstand what the devil is throwing at you to deceive you. Okay, he says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Notice the first thing on this list is the truth, because if you don't know the truth, 
you will be subject to lies. So he says, gird up your loins with truth. Have the word of God, have Jesus Christ, have the Holy Spirit so far up in you that you know truth from error. You need a relationship with the Lord to tell you right from wrong. We've got to go back to the drawing board, back to the stages of the word of God, back to being a little baby before your daddy that doesn't know what danger is. And we must have our senses exercised to discern what is right and what is wrong. Because, you know, we wouldn't have to have an armor on or have our senses exercised if right and wrong were so easily detected. But good and evil can mask itself, which is why you must put on your armor. So he says, have your loins girt about with truth and have on the breastplate of righteousness. Don't get caught up in sin. Don't get caught up in wrongful doing. It's going to take away that breastplate which covers your heart. When your conscience becomes seared through sin because you don't obey God, you will justify your wrongful actions. And if you believe that, you know, God's word is only good in some situations, you're going to believe the lie that the devil is going to tell you. Verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We've got to know this word, guys. It's not just the word only. We must have the spirit. We must have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we must know this word. That way, no one can deceive us of what the truth is. So, you know, you've got to don't allow your feet to slip. When the devil kept trying to take Jesus all over the place, Jesus went back to it is written. And if you and I are going to stand in this day, we better go back to the word of God. So anyway, he says in verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Without faith, guys, it is impossible to please God. That individual, John Watson, a couple of weeks ago, he tried to bring up some points and go through all this. He was quoting scripture, but he was taking it out of context. He was saying a lot of things that were not true. And if I wasn't anchored and what the Lord showed me, I wasn't going to go with him 20,000 feet up in the air. You guys already know, those who have seen that, that debate know what I'm talking about. He wanted to take me 20,000 feet into the air so that I can judge perception of whether or not that they've seen Jesus. I took him right back to Acts chapter one and verse 11. They saw Jesus leave and they were told that the same Jesus that left in like manner, he would return. Don't give me your philosophy. I'm going back to what is written. We've got to be that way because the devil's gonna send a lot of doctrine your way to try and get you to forsake the truth. You've got to know that you know that you know. The devil has already messed with some of the things in our childhood, you know, that we believe were one way. Don't think he's not gonna come against the word of God and try and change that. He already has, but it's gonna get so thick that if you don't have a Bible in front of you, if you are not studied, and then, you know, he's gonna change some words and he's gonna try and get you to believe it. Because if he can replace the word of God with a butter knife, you're not gonna be as successful as you would be 
wielding that sword that we know that is quick and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces even dividing asunder of soul and spirit, even goes down into the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We need the true sword, not a butter knife, not a screwdriver, not a plastic utensil. We need the sword of the spirit. All right. So look at verse 17. He says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We need that helmet. That helmet is the mind of Christ. We must believe as he believed. We must walk as he walks. We must think the way that our Lord thinks, and we must stay in line with the scriptures that no lies can penetrate your mind. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, we've got to be able to hear from the Lord. And like I said, we've got to know what is written because there is no more power than a person full of the spirit that can speak the words of Jesus. God will anoint those words and they will penetrate people. They will be successful. The word of God does not return void. So we need to know this Jesus that when we speak, he is speaking through us. He says, praying always, not praying sometimes, not when we feel like it, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We need to sharpen each other. We need to teach each other. We need to hold each other accountable because after all, we are the body. If we don't tell each other the truth, don't expect it from the devil and his minions. Look at verse 19, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do Tychicus, a beloved brother, and how uh, I do, I mean, and oh, sorry, uh, and faithful minister in the Lord shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that ye might know our affairs and that ye might comfort your hearts. Okay, so he says, peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, amen. And I want you to tell, uh, I wanna tell you something else. I can't remember exactly where the scripture is in the Bible, but don't you know in Paul's day, they tried to forge Paul's letters. You see, we must have an understanding that if the devil can gaslight you, if the devil can push the Mandela effect to tell you that your memories are faulty, that's okay if there are things that are not important. But when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to knowing what the Lord says and what we must do and believe, when it comes to sound doctrine, we've got to know that we know because we have studied, because we have a relationship with the Lord and we are full of the Holy Spirit to do his will. Because other than that, the Mandela effect will be your reality, not just in our childhood memories, but in the word of God. And that is not what we want. We want to know, 
Jesus Christ. So you know what, guys? That's the lesson for tonight. I've got more that I'm going to put in the description box, some articles that you guys may want to check out and see for yourselves. But we can't fall victim to the devil and his mind control. And I just want to say to those out there, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, give your life to Jesus Christ today while there is time. Repent of your sins. Um, re uh, re repent of your sins. Turn from your wicked ways. And if we confess our sins, our God is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse you and I from all unrighteousness. Believe that he died for you. Believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. Believe that he's coming back for a church without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. And believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. You must believe that. Get baptized, spend time with the Lord, and you can have him as your personal Lord and Savior, but we must repent. That means to turn away from wickedness and desire to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will transform you day by day. Every day won't be a victory. There are some things we're gonna slip and fall and be unstable with, but every day he's gonna make us stronger and fruitful and, and more uh, useful to him and to his kingdom. So I just wanna to say to people with that, I love you all. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries soundthetrumpetministries.com. Subscribe to the channel, share the word, get it out there. I also want to turn people to the Organic Gospel Book by Pastor Gary Price and Sister Maisha Hunter. This proves that the gospel is organic. We're not selling books for money, okay? No one's trying to get rich off this. We're trying to get a base camp for the saints that we may do an end-time job in the Lord that we may all get trained, that we may all get ready to do the work of the ministry. That's what this is about. You can get this book for $13.95 at www.theorganicgospel.net. You know, this shows you, you can't try to be a Christian. You must have the organic growth, which is in Christ, which spending time with him, that will build you up, strengthen you in the faith, in, in the faith, sorry, that you may be a manifested child of the Lord. Okay, so let's pray, guys, and we will go out from there. Heavenly Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the strength to get this word out tonight, Lord, and we ask that you pierce the mind and the heart that people may choose life and not death. And we just pray in Jesus' name for a heavy anointing on our brothers and sisters near and far. We thank you, Lord, for the information that you have presented, that we may not be caught up in the craftiness and the devices of the devil, lest he gets an advantage over us. So I just pray, Lord, for all my brothers and sisters online, all those faithful, all those who support this ministry. I pray for Pastor Price and Sister Barbara. I pray for the Omega Ministry staff that there's just so much information, Lord, so much revelation, so much good teaching, Lord, in this time that we need to be able to follow. And I thank you, Lord, for everyone that is associated with them, everyone that supports us, watch over them and their families, raise them up, cover them in your armor, that they may do the work of the ministry, that you, Lord Jesus, may get the glory. For you are King of kings and Lord of lords, 
You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and your honor alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, guys, that's gonna wrap it up for tonight. You guys already know that there won't be a teaching tomorrow. That's the first Tuesday that we have missed in about four years, maybe four and a half. But you know, I'm, I'm leaving town tomorrow, so you guys pray for me to have safe travel. I'm going home to see my family in New York. You know, um, I couldn't afford this trip. You know, my sister and my mom and them, you know, they got me a ticket. They took care of everything for me. Okay, so I'm not trying to, you know, I'm just being upfront. That was something that I couldn't afford, but praise the Lord that they could. So I just want to say, uh, Sister Naima, Sister Teresa uh, in Texas, and there's another Sister Teresa, I believe, that was on. I know I'm not gaslighting. Brother Sal, uh, Brother Gary and Sister Heather, uh, Sister Melissa. I cannot find that other uh, Teresa. Uh, Teresa Grandi, uh, Granados, thank you for being on tonight. Uh, let's see who else was on. Uh, Agent, Agent, or oh, Agent Cajun Love. You know, um, thank you for being on tonight. Let's see who else was on. Sister uh, Tatiana, Sister Latoya, Sister Naima, Brother Timotheus. Uh, let's see. Sister Dawn, Brother Randy. Uh, let's see. I'm just scrolling through. I don't want to forget anybody. You know, but thank you for being on, guys, and thank you for all your support. Sister Joni, thank you for being on tonight. You know, glad to hear from you. Let's keep our sister Joni in prayer. Sister Tara, I did not see. Thank you for being on. Then there's a brother, Jeff uh, Lawrence from Alaska. Guys, uh, pray for him. Thank you for being on tonight. Uh yeah, I got Sister Tatiana and others. Sister Sarah, of course, was here tonight to help out. So that looks like everybody. Oh, Coach P at the beginning of the teaching was on also. So I just want to say, guys, I love you all, at least until tomorrow. Well, not tomorrow, at least until next week. Don't forsake your prayer closets. Spend time with the Lord. I love you all and have a good night.